Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. From Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the Recruiting Trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, welcome to yet another episode of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Marcello. Thanks for joining me. Uh, as we usually do at the beginning of every week, we're going to do a Q&A podcast. So unless there's breaking news at the beginning of the week or anything like that, uh, we usually just go with these Q&As because you guys got better questions uh, than I could present to myself, obviously. Um, and it, plus it's more interactive. And inter- interactivity is what we're all about here at the Auburn Undercover Podcast, as you guys know, we want to reach out, reach out and touch someone. Anyway, um, it was a big weekend for Auburn for a, a few reasons before I get to the Q&A. Nothing breaking, of course, other than uh, DeAndre Butler, the number one Juco defensive uh, end. Committing to Auburn, he'll sign February 5th. 24-7 sports ranks him as a Three-star prospect, but the 24-7 sports composite has him as a four-star uh, prospect. Um, good pickup for Auburn, especially late in the cycle, uh, as it is right now. Excuse me. Um, but uh, basketball beat Iowa State, which was expected. I- Iowa State's, what's their record now, 9-10 and 10 after losing to Auburn. It's 80-76. Auburn built an 18-point lead and just didn't close out the game very well and that's gonna bite Auburn at some point if they keep that up that's just this Auburn team's just very inconsistent so far and um I had I, an Auburn fan came up to me after the game as I was leaving and was like hey do you, you think this Auburn team's better than last year and I I said oh heck no I mean they can't shoot the three like they did last year they don't have a point guard as dynamic as Jared Harper Javon McCormick is kind of getting lost in the weeds right now at 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 a at point guard, Samir Dowdy has his moments, but it's usually at home where they're doing good. It's just that Auburn isn't performing well on the road. Now we'll we'll see when they go on the road Tuesday night at Ole Miss. Ole Miss is one in five in the SEC, but head coach Kermit Davis at uh, Ole Miss has kind of had Bruce Pearl's number, even though the wins and losses don't add up. Ole Miss has played. Auburn, very tough since Kermit Davis has been there. And also when he was at Middle Tennessee State, he played uh, Bruce Pearl at Auburn and at Tennessee when he was at Tennessee. And those games were tough. And if you look at last year when Ole Miss came to Auburn Arena and beat Auburn, it was a low-scoring affair. That's the way Ole Miss likes to win games. And they picked up their first win this past Saturday at Georgia by double digits. And it was a low-scoring game. So... That's a game Auburn can't lose. That that that's a game that absolutely 
hurts your NCAA tournament resume. And it's hard to overcome unless you pick up two, in my opinion, two wins against like ranked teams, which Auburn has coming up. And that's the other side of the story. Another announcement was that Auburn's going to have college game day in town for the first time ever for basketball this upcoming Saturday against Kentucky. Auburn actually fell in the rankings after going 2-0 and last week. They're not like number 16 or, seven, or 17, excuse me, in the AP poll. Uh, Kentucky went up to number 13 after beating uh, nationally ranked Texas Tech on the road in overtime. So that's that's a game that perfectly sets Auburn up. You pick up a win there, not only are you in the SEC race, but it puts you in position for a higher seed. I mean, I, I think Auburn's playing like a five or six seed in the NCAA tournament right now, and maybe they get up to a four, and maybe they get up to a three if they really go on a, on a roll here, but... As I mentioned, you know earlier, you know I was asked, "Is this team better than last year?" I just don't see it, guys. I mean, Austin Wiley's playing better. Isaac Okoro, you've got a you've got a lottery pick on your roster right now, and Isaac Okoro. But there's just some bad decision making still being made. Uh, the guards aren't playing as well as I thought they would, and there's just these momentary lapses. Uh, defensive lapses. And if you're a member at Auburn Undercover, um, in my analysis piece I posted immediately after the Iowa State game, there were moments by seniors in that game, especially defensively, where they just get frustrated and then they allow a guy to blow past them for baskets. And all of a sudden, like a six-point lead or a seven-point lead is down to one. Um, you know, and these are by players, by the way, that were fantastic in the postseason last year. Uh, coming in for Chumo Kiki, and I'm talking about D'Angelo Purifoy, uh, defensively. It was really underrated. I don't think it was talked about enough that D'Angelo Purifoy did a heck of a job defensively in the NCAA tournament uh, last season. But he gets frustrated easily. I mean, he jacked up a three-point shot with about 20 seconds left on the shot clock when Auburn was trying to burn the clock against Iowa State and instead misses it, and then Iowa State's got a chance, and I mean, Iowa State had a chance to actually come back and win that game or force overtime. And Auburn was up 18. So it's just things like that that it just it, it has it makes me hesitate to say, hey, yeah, this team's better. I, I don't think any I don't think anybody that is sitting there can actually watch these two teams, one from last season, this one, and go, yeah, this team's better. I don't I just don't see how anybody could say that. Also I don't know if it could get be better than that last season as far by the end of the year. Isaac Okoro could certainly start exploding more um, as the season progresses, like Chumo Kiki did last season. But the pieces around him aren't as consistent as a Jared Harper and Bryce Brown. I mean, Auburn made its run last season because Jared Harper would take over games by getting to the basket or shooting three-pointers. And Bryce Brown was just a three-point shooting machine. Who's Auburn's Who's Auburn's shooter on this team? I think the closest thing they have to a shooter on this team is Daniel Purifoy. So, anyway. All right, we're going to get to your questions right after this commercial break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Time for the Q&A. I asked for your questions on Twitter, and some of you responded. Um, We're getting to that point in the year where it's like late January. It, it's amazing to me, like how many people still want to talk about football. <laughs> Not a lot of people want to talk about basketball. Um, but here we go. AU Warden asks, "How drastic of an increase in tight end production do you expect with Chad Morris at the helm, guiding our offense?" I don't see that changing much. I, I just don't. Um, listen. In this day and age with offenses, and especially the offense that Auburn tries to run, you you better have like a dynamic tight end, like an incredible tight end, if you're going to see increased production at that spot. Because I, otherwise, no. Now, Auburn's got some talent. I mean, Fromm and and Deal. Uh, but I until one of them like steps up this year, I, I just don't see how that... I don't see how the production increases. John Samuel Samuel Shanker, of course, I think he's good, but I don't. The, okay, I'm gonna say this. I've said this before. Every stop I've been, Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Auburn, over the last decade plus, there comes a point, especially if a coach is an offensive minded coach, which which is interesting because everywhere I've been, the head coach has been an offensive-minded coach. So this this is so I can actually tie this together. It gives me further proof. <laughs> um, there comes a point where people start asking, like, when are we going to get more production out of the tight end? And when are we going to throw across the middle? This was with Houston Nutt, Bobby Petrino, Dan Mullen, and Gus Malzahn. And what was funny, not funny, but what's interesting is, like, Bobby Petrino was at Arkansas. That's all he did was throw across the middle, pretty much. That, that was the, the the meat and potatoes of his offense. It was confusing the linebackers, getting them in coverage in bad situations and bad matchups. Um, and yeah, people are like, we're going to throw across the middle. And the tight end, that was just always an obsession. And anyway, so I, I wonder why that's a big question. Like, do you think a tight end should be catching the ball 35 times a year? I, I don't. Not in college football. No. You got to be explosive. You got to be fast to move the offense down the field these days. And unless you're running some pro style set, which barely anybody runs anymore, why are we talking about throwing the tight end so much more? Why do you, why do you have to throw the tight end more? I don't understand this. These I understand where you're coming from, but what I'm guess I'm saying is it just doesn't make sense in the way college football is played. This isn't the NFL and and the NFL's changing too. You guys have seen that. Um so anyway. Moving on. What am I hearing about the punting situation asked Parker Allen. Um I believe listen, this tells you how much I just don't follow recruiting cuz recruiting's not my thing and you guys know that. 
Uh, I believe Auburn just picked someone up, uh, a youngster. He's going to be a freshman. I, I w- Auburn's going to. I think Auburn's going to have to go through the uh, graduate transfer market or the portal or something because losing Aaron Sipos is big. Um, uh, you know, he graduated, got out. He's going to go try the NFL. If that doesn't work, I guess he's just going to move on with his professional life and maybe move back home to Australia with his fiance or is he married now? I can never figure it out. Anyway, um, you will see. I, I, I think that's going to be a weak spot for Auburn next season. Unless they get someone out of the out of the portal, uh, Luke Glover says of the early enrollees, who do you think will have the biggest impact next season? Uh, hey, Keith Niebuhr has mentioned his name a lot, and uh, I, I'm gonna go with it. Zykevius Walker, uh, the defensive lineman, pass rusher. Um, I, I think he's a guy that could definitely contribute next season and potentially, you know, contend for a starting spot. Um. You know, as uh, I think Keith said, he's kind of like, he's like shaped like a Greek god. So, and I trust Keith, so I'll I'll go with that. Uh, Jacob Varner asks, what do you think it'll take for spring to still not be dominated by mostly football talk? Ah, You see, here we go. I thought back-to-back SEC championships, a Final Four, and then another great star would be enough this year. But these questions show... That's still not the case. Jacob obviously was uh, going through the questions that were asked here on Twitter to me, and there wasn't a lot of uh, basketball questions. Jacob, I mean, here's the thing. Football will always be king in the SEC unless you're Kentucky where you've had tradition for 60-plus years or whatever in basketball, and your football program is, you know, let's face it, overall has stunk until recent years or you know, every 10 years or so, um, whether it's Rich Brooks or uh, obviously now with Mark Stoops, who I believe should be a head coach at a big-time program by now. Um, but uh, anyway, having said that, um, maybe this goes into my rant a little bit that I had on Twitter Saturday during the Iowa State game, if you guys saw that. What I don't understand more than anything are, are the people who go to the game at basketball games and sit on their hands, or just like don't know how to react. Um, it worries me as far as one understanding the game of basketball, and two whether they actually care about basketball. And and I hate like dumping on things, but it's I've been seeing it since I've been here. I've been here seven years, and I've seen it. The Tony, I mean Tony Barbiero was just dreadful and awful, and he was a horrible coach, but. You've got Bruce Pearl, who is just an absolute showman and has been trying to teach Auburn fans when to stand up and when to cheer. He does it in every game. He has to turn around to the scholarship section and the general mission folks and raise his hands like, get up. This is a big possession. It's a one possession or two possession game, and we're on defense. You need to stand up and make noise. And I saw that again against Iowa State. And... After five years with Bruce Pearl on campus, a Final Four, an SEC regular season championship that was celebrated on your home court, an SEC tournament championship, all of this in the last two seasons, you start 15-0 and this year, you get into the top five, and you have to be told when to stand to cheer. Now, this, this, this doesn't go to everybody. 
you know, I'm not saying everybody that's in the stands for Auburn acting like this, but it's a great majority of it when I'm looking. And I've had people arguing with me like, no, no, we were, we were loud. It's loud in there. The commentators were saying how loud it was. Yeah, it's loud. You want to know why it's loud? Because those commentators are looking at the student section and hearing the student section. The student section wraps around that, that lower bowl there on that side and is extremely loud. Extremely loud. And guess what? They're sitting in front of the student section. So, of course, it's loud to them. And by the way, when's the last time you heard a TV commentator say something negative about the crowd? Seriously. TV commentators are going to pump the sunshine because they're there. They're not there to be reporters or journalists or tell you exactly what's going on with the crowd or the fans. They're just going to be, man, what an incredible atmosphere here at, you know. There could be 2,000 people there and they'd be talking about, you know, a great crowd here. Really, really, really good. Here's the other thing. They got headphones on. They're trying to read and do other things. How much do you think they're actually paying attention to fans standing up, cheering when they should cheer, and the actual decibel level of the arena? But like I said, Auburn Arena is loud. And most of that is because of the student section. The student section is like gasoline that gets poured on the fire. And that sometimes gets the other folks to stand up and react But sometimes Bruce Pearl has to turn around to the opposite side of the arena and go like, stand up, guys. It's time to cheer. After five years of this, should Bruce Pearl really still be in an applause sign for everybody? Oh, time to cheer. It's just too bad. There is a Final Four banner in the rafters, people. They deserve better. Anyway. All right, that's done. I'm done with my rant. Uh, ooh, oh, this is personal. Matthew Johnson asks, non-sports related, but this actually is sports related if you think about it, Matt. Uh, but is journalism a dying breed? Whoa. Listen, um, I, I journalism will never die. If journalism dies, a lot of other uh, pillars that we build this country upon will crumble as well freedom of the press journalism checks and balances is what keeps our democracy running um and i'm not talking about sports here so if journalism dies or is even a dying breed then you're gonna see other pillars that are not related to journalism crumble if you do not keep politicians and in, in in check uh, companies in check, the lines start getting blurred, people start crossing a line because they know no one's going to see them do it. And that and that's when, I'm not going to say democracy dies, but it's when things, democracy starts crumbling. Now, as a, now I, I know it's easy to say, hey, dem- journalism is dying because, and I don't want to get too much into it because, listen, I do not pay attention to politics all that much because, it's like sports. Everybody takes sides. And I hate, I hate that about, you know, uh, democracy in our country. I mean, I don't think everybody should be on the same side, obviously, but it shouldn't be so vicious. We all want the same thing. 
you know, anyway, why can't we, he's like, why can't we all just love each other? You know, I, I, I don't know. Anyway. Um, so anyway, I guess what I'm saying is, is, um, with journalism, I think, I think what you're seeing is you're seeing more, um, outlets that are not necessarily unbiased, but have, everybody's got some type of bias, but they're obviously trying to push some sort of an agenda and I'm not going to name outlets or whatever, but you see it and everybody can easily see it. And then people, you know, readers, viewers align themselves to those outlets because it reinforces their belief system. And so that outlet or those outlets continue to make money off of that and get high ratings or big readership and continue to thrive. But that's not actual journalism, so to speak, in the in the sense of what I was taught in school and, and a lot of folks have been, and including you, readers and viewers are accustomed to have been seeing in your lifetime, that doesn't mean journalism is gone. It's just that you've got to search a little bit harder for it because there's a lot of noise out there you have to go through. Um, so no, journalism is not a dying breed. It's just that there's a lot of voices out there trying to yell over it, I guess is what I'm saying. And the same goes for sports journalism. Um, there's a lot of sports journalism out there that they try to take a certain angle on things on a consistent basis. And it's obviously bias. There's a lot of journalism out there that's just meant to appease fans. And, you know, I, I'm still trying to do that old school thing, but I'm, you know, I'm also trying to share stories that I know you guys care about because I hear about it. when I get questions, I get questions every day, like, Hey, what's going on with this or whatever. And I go, you know, what? that's a good story idea. You know, for example, um, after Saturday's Iowa state game, um, Bruce Pearl mentioned a, uh, graduate assistant uh, and how well they prepare them because he's like almost like Isaac Okoro with the way he gets to the basket. And I'm like, you know what? I want to do a story on this guy. He's a former player for Bruce Pearl back in the Horizon League. And uh, my, my interview request was denied. But I thought it'd be a good story. I thought people would like to hear about like what, what actually happens behind the scenes that helps Auburn get ready for things and, you know, challenge the starters. And this, this guy's a former, you know, player under Bruce Pearl, who's now a grad assistant, is doing well. But my interview request was denied, um, which is fine. You know, that, that happens more often than not, you know, interview requests being denied. But I figured that'd be a good story for people to hear about. That's 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 my, that's the angle I come from as a sports journalist. It's just the interesting stories, you know, the human interest stories. Who are these people, you know? But I'll tell you what, I do not, I would not want to get back into government reporting. I was a government reporter, started off my career, or actually not started off, but after my first year as a professional, I got into government reporting, just small municipalities and city council meetings and uh, covering <clears throat> small town stuff. And boy, was it crazy. I, I covered a mayor. Get, the, I, get this. This mayor had faked his his name. He wasn't who he said he was and somehow got away with it. Got elected mayor and he had a secret like life. He like turned up missing like back in the 70s. And get this, you know how he got found out? He was writing a book loosely based on his own life 
It was putting it up on a website, like chapter by chapter. And people started making connections. And sure enough, I didn't break it. I, I, I was relatively new on the job. And even if I was on the job for five years, I don't think I could have broken it. Because who the person who broke this for the competing paper, man, they were deep in it. They knew. Um, but it, it's incredible the type of stuff you get into uh, in government. That doesn't even really deal with the politics of it all. It's just, I guess, it's just different types of people in government, I guess. And listen, uh, I, I am not the smartest guy in the room. I've never, I'm never the smartest guy in the room. And I certainly wasn't, you know, when I was covering government. And I do not want to get back into that. I, I could not do that. I could do sports, you know. I I understand football and you know zone defenses and you know stuff like that, but I I can't sit there and deal with a city council meeting and the boring monotonous monotony of it, and and uh, then there's always a conspiracy theorist type person that would try to be your source on stuff in these cities. Like every city I, I dealt with, I dealt with about like eight cities, small small cities. And nearly every one of them, were, there was someone who would always want to meet me for lunch or go for coffee or something and tell me about how the mayor's doing this or the this city council member's doing that or the the uh, city attorney is getting more money than he should and is charging them that. I mean, just every day. And, 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 and it's like that when you cover anything. But at least, you know, covering sports, yeah. Maybe because I better understand it, I may be able to filter through that and know who to listen to and who to not. Anyway, okay, so long story short, journalism is not a dying breed. Okay, let's go to Dennis, Unlimited Dennis on Twitter. Do you see the defensive line going to more of a rotation next year? What players do you expect to make an impact? Um, possibly, I think this spring and obviously in the summer and the the first two weeks of August are going to be crucial. They've got to figure things out there. Connus Miller and Daquan Newkirk have got to step up. They have got to step up. It's their time. They have got to step up. Will there be more of a rotation? Potentially, but I can't predict that, and I don't really don't want to predict it. But those two guys, Newkirk Miller, they've got to step up. James asks, what impact will the new JUCO recruit have the signing class? You're talking about DeAndre Butler. I think he's probably going to start. He'd potentially be a starter. They need they need a guy to replace Marlon Davidson. Uh, Harley Madison asks, how do you see the running backs looking? Backfield's loaded, but is there anyone see transferring or becoming an every down back? Yeah, I mean, listen, um, people say, hey, this is one of the deeper running back groups Auburn's had in a while, but none of them have rushed for 1,000 yards. And I love Booby Whitlow. I just don't know if he's a 1,000-yard running back. I think you got to start giving more opportunities to DJ Williams Mark Anthony Richards, now that he is healthy, definitely. And then obviously the freshman coming in, Tank Bigsby. I think you got to give them opportunities to potentially win the starting job. I don't think you just go, hey, you know, Booby is our upperclassman. He's our starter. No, I think you got to start afresh there and see who wins. Zachary Dacry asks, who wins the who's winning the Royal Rumble? Um, whoever the writers uh, say are going to win the Royal Rumble. It's all entertainment. Jared Sinski asks, biggest 
area improvement for Bo Nix now that he's got a more QB friendly scheme with Morris in the house. Um, completion percentage, I think that's it. He's got he's got to be more accurate on the deep balls as well. Um, not get pushed out of the pocket so quickly, but that's gonna be interesting because he's got to trust an entire whole new offensive line other than the center. Um, but I, I like to see that completion percentage go from about 60% to 65% this upcoming season. If they do that, they'll compete. Brennan Guyton asks, is this the best recruiting class in Auburn history? Ah, uh, you know, I don't know. I wait till the players play, you know, but I mean, listen, I, I think we underrated the, the, the value of Gus Malzahn recruiting top 10 classes all but one year he's been here at Auburn. I know it's like middle of the pack or just above the middle of the pack in the SEC some years because of just how competitive it is with recruiting. But, I mean, to do that consistently is is pretty good. There's like no off years for them, really, if you think about it. If you look across the board, other than two or three other programs in the SEC, everybody's up and down, up and down, up and down. And here we go. No Q&A is complete without one of these. Jeff Plucker asks, what will it take to move on from Gus? Well, Jeff obviously wants Gus gone. The records against UGA, LSU, and bowl games aren't enough to offset how he does against Bama. Don't want the talent of Bo Nix for the next three, two to three years, the RB stable we now have, and wide receiver talent to go to waste like we did with a D this year. Okay, that's a statement. You don't want this and that and that and that. And you're asking me to tell you, hey, when's Gus leaving? I don't freaking know, Jeff. What kind of, it's not a question. It's a statement. I love it when people give statements and they want you to, to re, hey, this, hey, this goes back to that journalism question where I'm like, there's certain outlets that just back up your own beliefs. That's what you're doing. You're seeking, you're seeking uh, approval of your belief. And, I'm not going to give that to you because I don't know. Also, I'm not going to like. Uh, anyway, Tim Mays asks, how many different obbies are used during a year? That's a good question. I don't know. I want to do a story on the obby mascot because, as we all know, obby's treated as a sentient being. You cannot remove his head because it's a sentient being. But obviously, Sometimes I'll be shorter or taller, depending on the venue you go to. I'm just saying, I don't think that's a real life tiger out there. David Petty asks, will Gus really let Chad Morris have full control of the offense? I mean, we have been down this road before. I don't think he'll have full, full control of the offense. I've talked about this before and I've written about it. I think Chad Morris will coordinate the offense. He'll coach the quarterbacks. But he'll be more of a co-coordinator than anything. They're going to co-coordinate that offense. It's just how it's going to go. And if things go south, Gus is going to be more involved. If things are okay, Gus will not be as involved. But Gus is going to be involved, guys. His fingerprints are going to be all over that thing. Uh, okay, last question. I don't know if I can answer this. Grayson Russell asks, is there a player on the defensive line that coaches expect to step up and be another potential first-round pick? As of right now, no. I, I don't. I haven't heard from any coaches going. You know that guy's going to be, but they they've got a lot of things to figure out on that defensive line, and you're not going to know until they're out there practicing against each other for several days in a row, and full pads and everything. And even then, you know, you got to get them out there in action. 
And there's a lot, you know, they're going to be counting on guys, these new guys, DeAndre Butler. And as I said, you need these other players like Newkirk and Miller to step up. We'll see. All right, that's going to do it for me on this edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Thank you for joining me. As always, I will see you down the road. No one has it covered like 24-7 sports. Go Undercover with Auburn Undercover. a very bright shining light Sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 U2 they represent a personification of our resistance the Hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva Sarajevo kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus go to Paramount Plus to try it free terms apply